In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and this series is in cooperation with Cinda Virtual, which brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. You can learn more about Cinda under www.cinda.org. Now, we don't only bring you thought leaders from all over the world, but we also have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to the series, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations, what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions, and data protection regulations, to leadership issues such as gender balance and business value and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. specific time. And if you miss us live, don't worry about it because we are on every major podcast platform from Google to Stitcher to Spotify. We're all over the net. Just look for Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America Radio. Now, if you'd like to contact me, please reach me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. And I'd like to hear from you and let us know what kind of subjects you want to hear on this series. But no matter what, if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless of your your business, if it's international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now on to today's episode. You know, our work environments are changing and evolving. Before the pandemic, they were evolving also. But with the pandemic, everything changed. Companies were obligated to completely rethink their work environments, processes, and employee relations. New ways of working have become commonplace now. And it seems that new environments and processes are continuing to emerge. New models of working will predominate. This means that firms will have to speed up their change management to keep up with changing technology, customer expectations, and employee needs. In this episode, we talk about what is happening to the work environment and how companies can successfully redesign their ways of working. Our guest today is Linda Gratton, one of the foremost global thought leaders on the future of work. She was named by Business Thinkers 50 as one of the top 15 business thinkers and described as a rock star teacher. Her 10 books, including The 100-Year Life, have sold over a million copies and have been translated into more than 15 languages. Her latest book, published by MIT Press, is redesigning work, how to transform your organization and make hybrid work for everyone. She is a professor of management practice at London Business School, where she received Teacher of the Year Award and designs and directs the Future of Work elective, one of the school's most popular electives. 
Her research on the hybrid work was featured as the cover article for Harvard Business Review in May 2021, and she explores issues of work in her MIT Sloan column. She also serves as a fellow of World Economic Forum and co-chairs the WEF Council on Work, Wages, and Job Creation. So we are very lucky to have her, and welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you so much for inviting me. Okay. So, Linda, let, let's kind of start. Um, when did you get the idea for the book? I mean, when did you really start researching the book? Have you been doing this a while before the pandemic? You know, what kind of kicked off this the, the idea for the new book? Well, you know, Kimberly, I've been writing about the way the world is changing uh, for decades. I guess the first book I really wrote about that was called The Shift. And it talked about the technological, the demographic, the social trends that were changing work. But I didn't really see a lot of change actually happening within organizations. Well, that wasn't until the pandemic. Uh, And in March 2020, I, like everybody else, like all our listeners, wherever they were, closed down. And that meant that companies were suddenly forced to change. And I, on that day, decided to keep to keep a diary. I've still got it, actually. I think I'm I'm on volume about fifteen now, really, just to describe, you know, what people were thinking. I asked our clients, "What are you doing?" My networks, and the book actually came out of that diary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. You, you, um, I, you know, I've read the book. The book is absolutely fantastic to our listeners. Great, great book. Um, I did not read the shift, but I can imagine. I can imagine. You know, um, things have been changing. I mean, long before the pandemic, but not necessarily always for good things. Okay, I mean, we started to develop some habits. Um, before the pandemic, do you think we were actually aware of these habits we were developing? I mean, because some of them that were were really not that great. Or did we just kind of mosey on along and not even think about things? Well, I think, you know, that we knew that it wasn't working as well as it might. I mean, for example, you know, when you were commuting for, as some people were, some of our listeners might be Kimberly, you know, three hours a day, mm-hmm. uh, 15 hours a week. Uh, you weren't getting enough sleep. We know that mental health issues are associated with not sleeping properly. You weren't spending time with your kids. You came home frazzled. I mean, we knew that this wasn't right. I'd written about that. But I think the interesting thing is that none of us, including me, saw another way. And it really wasn't until the pandemic, which in March, in my case, March the 14th, uh, the company that I run, London Business School, where I'm a professor, closed down. And Mm -hmm. we had to work from home using technology. And suddenly, all the problems we had with work became obvious because we didn't have them anymore. We weren't commuting. We weren't getting pulled into office politics. But of course, a whole range of other problems uh, arose. But that we didn't really know about those yet for, for another year or so. So uh, yes, we, we knew there was problems, but we didn't imagine, we didn't have the courage to think there was another way of working. And the pandemic created another way of working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it, you're right. We probably, we just, we, we got ourselves stuck and we really couldn't see into the future. And then the pandemic kind of pushed us into it. But let me ask this question because it, it's always good to reflect backwards. When this first step happened, um, do you think 
that companies saw this as an opportunity, and companies and employees, and they may have seen this differently. Do you think they saw this as an opportunity or a burden at first? Oh, I think that lots of companies saw it as a burden. I mean, honestly, who wouldn't? You know, suddenly, mm-hmm. I wrote in the Harvard Business Review article, I, my opening case was uh, the case of Fujitsu, a large, huge Japanese company. Everybody had come into the office every day. They'd worked, you know, very long hours. And Fujitsu had assured me there's no way that this was ever going to change. But, of course, within a day, they moved 60,000 people um, into their homes. Did they want to do that? No, of course they didn't. I mean, if they'd wanted to do it, they would have done it before. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so companies were absolutely forced to do something that maybe they might have done, you know, over a period of 10 years, but they certainly didn't expect to do it in a week. So, no, mm-hmm. I think companies were absolutely pushed in. And to be honest, it was pretty frightening for you know, employees, you know, I'm an employee. I was frightened. We all had to hunker down in our homes. We couldn't see our friends. So, you know, I think it was it was a frightening period for everybody, actually. But of course, since then, uh, employees, particularly those, I mean, remember, only 50% of employees can work from home. But those who can are saying, well, this is pretty nice. I, I really quite like it. And I'm being more productive. And what we're seeing from the research that, like right now is lots of managers are saying, actually, you're not being more productive. You're just languishing at home. So there is currently quite a conflict between employees saying, this is actually making me better at my job. And managers saying, no, it's making you worse. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that, I want to come to that in a minute, okay? But I just, um, you know, to stay on this, you know, kind of reflection backwards a little yes. bit. Um, what what do you think the biggest issue was? Okay, was it actually the technology, or was it really the mental adjustment back then, or maybe a combination of both? You know, it's really interesting. You should ask that question, Kimberly, because I have a very firm belief that if the pandemic had hit the world even twenty years ago, possibly ten years ago we would not have been able to work in the way that we could. Mm. You know, it just wasn't the platforms that were available. Uh, If there were platforms, they were incredibly expensive. Most people didn't have internet into their houses, but and if they did, the internet connections were very poor. So the technology just happened to be ready at the time that we most needed it. And it meant that we could scramble home. We, of course, our internet broke. Do you remember all of that the first month? Or two? Oh, yeah. we, we somehow, you know, these amazing engineers came in. And so we all had uh, strong internet. So, so actually, I think that, you know, it was astonishing that we were able to do that. But then what came out more as a conflict, I think, is the idea that, well, work is also a lot about what you do with other people. It's about mm. you know making friends at work. It's about being creative. It's about bumping into people. You know, and people began to remember um, that uh, studies before the pandemic showed that the reason why people stay at work is because they've got a friend at work. And if you don't go into work, you haven't got a friend. Now, that doesn't mean to say you don't have a friend. You can perfectly easily have a friend, you know, who doesn't work. But it did sort of move the axis, really, from, um, you know, having a friend at work to spending more time with my neighbors and therefore becoming disconnected to work. So now two years in, one and a half years in, the worry is 
um, you know, are we becoming disconnected? Are people leaving just because yeah, yeah. they say, you know, honestly, I, I don't, I'm not connected enough here. So I think it's a connectivity, a mental connectivity rather than a technical connectivity that's been the real challenge. Yeah, I mean, that that's absolutely true. And I've talked to quite a few companies and, you know, most of them now, and we're talking about now, you know, two years later in the hybrid model. So, I mean, what, you know, we've kind of missed that connectivity. We miss those people. Um, we have all these empty office buildings hanging around. Okay. And we're, so what are you seeing now? Okay. When you're talking to companies, um, are most of the companies moving to a hybrid model or are they still, you know, uh, virtual, or did they say everybody gets back into the office? What What's the dynamics that you're well, observing? Well, well, interestingly enough, I write um, a column for the Times of London, and and on, and on Monday, just to give you a sense of what I'm thinking, the column title was "The Battle for Hybrid," and it really <laughs> it really is a battle. You know, some managers, some leaders are saying, "I want everybody back." Um, you know, now. Others, uh, some employees are saying, what, you're going to make me come back? What are you going to do? You're going to put a gun to my head and, and make me come? You know, so there is a real battle being played out. I don't, I hadn't expected that, but there is. So it's, it's becoming much more complex, to be honest, than I thought. And I think that anyone thought. And what I've, I was with a senior team just this morning. And one of the things I reminded them is, you know, this is as big as the Industrial Revolution was in terms of changing mm work and the way we think about work. And that took 20 years. I hope this won't take 20 years, but that took 20 years to settle down really before people understood, you know, this is new ways of working. So we're still in for a long period of learning, of arguments, of, uh, you know, there's, we, there's still a lot we don't know about how to make this new way of work actually work. And, you know, it's it's fairly new, Linda. I mean, we're talking about, you know, it's just recently, um, you know, I live partly in Germany, and Germany was one of the last ones to have people go back, okay? Um, you know, so it's kind of new. But we're going to take we're gonna take a break, and uh, when we come back, I, I want to talk about this newness, and I want to talk about how companies can actually approach this and redesign their workplace so it is successful. And for our listeners, our guest today is Linda Gratton, and she won as the foremost global thought leaders on the future of work. She was named by Business Thinkers 50 as one of the top 15 business thinkers. She is also a professor of management practice at London Business School, where she received Teacher of the Year. And we're talking about, you know, she's also authored 10 books, including The 100-Year Life, and we also heard The Shift. And these have sold over a million copies and translated into more 15 languages. But we're talking about her latest book. And her latest book was published by MIT Press, and it's called Redesigning Work, How to Transform Your Organization and Make Hybrid Work for Everybody. So we're going to talk, go in a little bit into that book after the uh, break. And if you'd like to reach Linda, you can go to her website under www.lindagratton.com. She's on Twitter at Linda Gratton, and she's on LinkedIn under Linda-Gratton. So please reach out to her. Her book is also available on Amazon. And this broadcast is brought to you by Cinda, and Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing 
nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. They hold virtual trainings, conferences. They do market research and legislative white papers focused on digital. They also have an e-learning platform in cooperation with Boss Capital. And this platform is for startups, project managers, and small and medium businesses. And it helps companies succeed when launching new products. So please go look up Cinda under www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we are talking about you know, the future of work and actually the current situation with work. And we're talking with one of the foremost global thought leaders on the future of work. We're talking with Linda Gratton, and she is also the author of Redesigning Work, How to Transform Your Organization and Make Hybrid Work for Everyone. And this book is available on Amazon. Fantastic read. Um, Linda is also the professor of management practice at London Business School, where she received the Teacher of the Year Award and designs and directs the Future of Work elective. So, uh, Linda, before before the break, we kind of reflected on what happened, okay? And and we're, we're, we're starting to talk a little bit about what happens today. Um, wh- one question I have for you is, you know, y- you talked about the battle and you just wrote a column about the battle. So this battle, I mean, is it that companies are seeing it one way and employees are seeing it another way? Is it complete a battle of two different views because you gave the example of, huh, what are you gonna make me, go back to work now? <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, it's more complex than that because there are multiple stakeholders, and and just we've you know we've talked about there's leaders, uh, there's employees, there's team leaders who are the ones who are saying this is really hard. I'm exhausted. Yep. Um, there are architects who are saying, well, why aren't you coming back to the, these amazing offices that we've designed? There are economists who are saying, this is really bad for productivity. There are psychologists like me who are saying, hang on, you know, have you thought about creativity? So, you know, there's a lot of stakeholders. And what's, I think, really confusing, and I call this a cacophony of, of, of words, is that no real nobody really agrees with each other. So, you know, some leaders are saying, 
oh, you know, everyone's got to be back in the office. And other leaders are saying, no, 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 you, you can stay at home whenever you want. So there isn't really any agreement between the stakeholder groups. And part of what I'm observing is some pretty acrimonious conversations going on at senior levels in companies now as they try to work out what they're going to do next. Mm-hmm. And, and in your book, you talk a little bit about this and you talk about true flexibility. What, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, as, as you said earlier, I study the future of work and, you know, people are living longer at a time of extraordinary technological change. They've got different sort of family structures. They want flexibility. I mean, they've always want flex- flexibility mm-hmm. for at least the last decade, but we haven't really delivered that. And true flexibility for me, for me means flexibility around place. You know, where do I, where can I work? But also, because not everybody has flexibility around place. You know, Kimberly, my son, uh, one of my sons is a is an A and E was an A and E doctor, uh, emergency mm-hmm. accident and emergency. He couldn't say, "I'm going to work from home." You mm-hmm. know, he had to, he had to be, and that's fifty percent of employees have to work. They're tethered to their job. They're tethered to a place. So we also have to think about flexibility in terms of time. You know, the big push, as you know, in Europe right now is for the four-day week. Um, So that true flexibility is about both, you know, how do I have some autonomy over my life? That's really, for me, the, the big question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's a very good question because you know if we think back before the pandemic, we we really didn't have that autonomy. Okay, um, so you know when when we're talking about you know implementing true flexibility, this is about redesign. Okay, so I want to get in your book is about how companies redesign the workplace to achieve these. And one of the other things you say in your book is you talk about kind of freeze, unfreeze, and refreeze concept. What what do you mean by that? Well, <laughs> it's the idea that you know, companies change when the external context changes. It's just like, you know, snow, snow, water freezes. And then when it's hot again, it unfreezes. And the same sort of is true. And then it refreezes again once it gets cold. And the same too is organizations. Most of the time, they're sort of frozen. By that, I don't mean they're cold or snow. Mm-hmm, yeah mean is you know all the practices and processes are in place people know what to expect and then something happens some external situation you know a new competitor comes along their products fail um they invent something new and it and the organization has to change it goes through a process of 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 unfreeze uh you know assumptions of people are saying you know what sort of company are we and then eventually it finds a status again it goes down it goes back to refreezing and and when I wrote about this initially in my book, I, I that's what I was talking about. I was talking about the fact we're now in a stage of unfreeze. Two years mm-hmm. later, and honestly, Kimberly, I still think we're unfrozen. I don't think <laughs> there's any companies that I've know out there, and I speak to a lot all over the world who say, "Guess what?" <laughs> I, I, they're all. I was with a group this this morning, big big company, and they're saying. Oh, my goodness. And even within them, there was still disagreement. So there's a lot of disagreement. So that's why in the book, and I still say now, there's a process you have to go through. You know, don't you have to you have to go through this four stage process. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I agree with you. I really do think of the people I talk to were unfreeze. So let's talk about that four-stage process, okay? You talk about that in the book. Um, kind of, you know, what what are the four stages? 
Well, the four stages are sort of like a design process. It says, you know, think about this as the design of work, you know, where you're intentionally designing something. So the four stages that I, I think are important are, first of all, you've got to understand. You've got to understand what's going on in your organization, you know, the products and so on. Once you've understood, you can then move on to the second stage, which is reimagining, you know, imagining what could be. And that's why, you know, finding out what other companies are doing, uh, being creative in your own mind is going to be really important. The third is modeling and testing. And there for me, the question we're asking is, is what we've got in mind, is it fair? You know, is it future proofed? Uh, is it going to really alienate some people or is it going people are, people are going to sign up for it? And then the third, the fourth is really around act and create, actually get this stuff done. And that's got implications for leaders, for team leaders, and indeed for employees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let, let, let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. These four stages, um, you know, you're starting with understanding what matters. Okay. Uh, what, you know, what's the first step? I mean, what does matter? Okay. How, how do you look at an organization and really understand what matters? Well, well, the thing is that, you know, the the obvious thing is it's the purpose of the company. You know, what are the values mm -hmm. and purpose of the company? And that's really important. But then, you know, what's been happening up to now is people are primarily asking what happens, what, what do people want? You know, let's understand mm -hmm. what they want. Uh, but I don't think that's the primary question. I think the primary question is, what are the tasks that have to be achieved in this organization? Uh, so let's understand work. Let's understand, for example, I'm a writer. So really, you know, the task that I mostly do is writing. Uh, it's a focused, it's, it's, a, it's a focused activity. I do it on my own. I don't want to be interrupted. So for me, sitting in an open plan office is a disaster. You know, mm -hmm. I desperately need my own space. But there's other jobs where actually, you know, being around people for some of the time is going to be absolutely brilliant. So you've got to understand, you know, the, the company itself, the employees, the jobs, and also the networks. You know, what we're realizing is that companies aren't just made up of single individuals. They're made up of collections of people. And those collections and the networks between them and the, the knowledge that flows between them, that's really important to how we think about redesigning. So understanding those four elements, I think, is crucial. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you talk about the tasks that are needed to achieve, I mean, one of the, the complications we face here is the technology. I mean, technology is on steroids right now, okay? So mm -hmm. is, that, is that partly also understanding the capabilities that technologies have and, and, and what kind of people we have that can actually use that technology and produce these tasks? I mean, this kind of technology adds another layer to this, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, you know, it was interesting, the CEO of Microsoft made the point that people's technological prowess, their skills have probably leaped forward a five years. And, and I think that's true. So, you know, we could never have done this without the platforms that allow us to communicate. Mm. We could never have done this without the fact they were incredibly low cost. You know, it would be no good if we had Skype or Zoom or Microsoft Teams, but it cost, you know, £100 a minute like it used to. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly some of them did. So, so it was the cost. <laughs> and so there are all the time at the moment, people are building technologies to support the way that we work. And, 
if you look at where you know venture capital investments are going, it's going into creating new ways of new technologies to support how people work to support the development of new platforms and so on. So yeah, I mean, technology plays a vital role, Kimberly. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, you're right. All of VHC is going into helping us make do things easier and make work possibly easier. But I, I want to come to the networks because, because Linda, this is really something very important, I think. Okay, so we're in this hybrid. I mean, we had networks in the real workplace. I mean, networking was so important. Then we, we all went home and we really struggled to have a network, okay? I mean, it took us two years to actually learn how to really start to talk to people virtually. And now we're back in the hybrid. What does that mean for the development of networks? You know, the fun, you know, interestingly enough, Kimberly, we don't really know the answer to that. And one of the things that I'm <laughs> saying in my writing at the moment is there's a lot of unknowns. So for example, you know, people would say, well, you can't really establish good, trusting working relationships, which are virtual, you know, where you don't meet each other. You mm -hmm. just, you just, but actually there's evidence that you probably can, you know, people are saying, well, maybe, you know, in terms of networks, you can't uh, form deep friendships uh, without meeting somebody. I think that's probably true by the way, but we're learning a lot more about networks because it turns out that networks are absolutely crucial for organizational health and well-being and performance. And those networks could be, you know, networks with people that we know very well, where we're sharing knowledge, but they could be these very broad networks. You know, many of you will have networks with, with hundreds of people and, you know, you mm. don't know them particularly well, but they're really important to the way that you work. So how you maintain and establish, establish and maintain those relationships, those networks is an area that, you know, theorists like me and others are really trying trying to understand better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just think, I, I know myself just struggling with networks when we first went virtual because I'm a very in-person person. And uh, so that's why this is interesting. I have one quick question. We're, we're going to go into the other three steps after the break. We're going to take a break in a few minutes. But but one question that's sitting on my mind, we want to talk about reimagining the future. Whose responsibility is that? Is it the CEO? Is that a committee? I mean, this you're talking, you know, whose job is this? Oh, it's such a great question, Kimberly. Because at the so here's what's happened. I mean, by the way, <laughs> there's so much out there you could write about and talk about this forever. Um, in some in some companies, the CEO has said, I want everybody back in the office. And that's because that's their preference. Uh, in mm -hmm. other companies, um, especially some European companies, they're saying, well, let's well, let the employees decide what they want. And the truth of it is that neither of those are right. Um, and that really the best way forward is uh, is for the leader to say something about the purpose of the organization, the values that are really important to them, and then for employees to take some accountability for those and to work around them. So in the model that I described in the book, it's really the team leaders who play a very, very important role. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I have a, I have a follow-up question on that, but we're going to take a, a break. So listeners, you just wait for my follow-up question because it's a very good one. Okay. When the team <laughs> leaders take the role um, and uh, we're going to take a, a real short break and uh, we're talking to Linda Gratton. She's one of the foremost global thought leaders on the future of work. And she was named by Business Thinkers 50 as one of the top 
15 business thinkers. She has 10 books on the market, including The 100-Year Life, and they have sold over a million copies and been translated into 15 languages. Her latest book, which is available on Amazon, um, was put out by MIT Press and is called Redesigning Work, How to Transform Your Organization and Make Hybrid Work for Everybody. She is also a professor of management practice at London Business School, where she received the Teacher of the Year Award, and she designs and directs the Future of Work elective. Now, you can reach out to her at her website on www.lindagratton.com. And she's also on Twitter and LinkedIn, on Twitter under the handle at Linda Gratton, and on LinkedIn under Linda, and this is Linda with a Y, an Ypsilon for our listeners, Linda Gratton. So please reach out to her. Now, this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda, and Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. She holds, um, Cinda holds virtual trainings, conferences, market research, and does legislative white papers focused on digital. They also have learning series every Thursday at 1700 European time, Central European time. And they have an e-learning platform in cooperation with Boss Capital out of San Diego. And this platform is for startups, product managers, and small and medium business who want to launch new products and succeed. So please go to www.cinda.org to learn more information. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis. And today we are talking about the situation, the environment we're working in today, and also what the future of work is going to look like. And we're talking with Linda Gratton, and she's one of the foremost global thought leaders on the future of work. Um, she was named by Business Thinkers 50 as one of the top 15 business thinkers. And she is the author of Redesigning Work, How to Transform Your Organization and Make Hybrid Work for Everybody. This was put out by MIT Press and is available on Amazon, a great read. And she's also professor of management practice at London Business School, where she received the Teacher of the Year Award and designed and directs the Future of Work elective. So, Linda, before the break, I I, I asked the the hot question of whose responsibility is this? Who does it? Okay. Um, and you kind of came, you came to the team leads and, and um, you know, clearly there has to be some kind of executive involvement, executive management, but, but 
we're redesigning this, okay? And we're talking about communication channels also. Once these people, you know, with the, the team leads or with the executive committee or whomever, they redesign it, how do you get, before you start testing, how do you get this correctly cascaded through the organization to get the buy-in? Well, it's turning out to be incredibly difficult, Kimberly. So, you know, theoretically, uh, what I would say from a change management pers- perspective is, the re- and this is what I wrote in the book, which is the leader sets the purpose, talks about the values, you know, t- says what their red lines are. You know, these are the things you can't p- uh, 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 cross. The team leader works with accountabilities on their team. They also uh, connect with each other so that they can uh, understand what each other's team leaders are doing. And employees uh, do the best they can and at the same time uh, have accountabilities for their own performance. That's very theoretical. In practice, it's turned out to be more complex than that. And, you know, this is why I think, this is why I would say we're still in the time of um, unfreeze. You know, it's leaders are finding it difficult to agree with themselves what they should be doing. Team leaders are completely overwhelmed with how much work they have to do. And also some of them are working in in a matrix, which is just so difficult. And employees are saying, you know, I'm quite enjoying being at home most of the time. And that's where I'm going to stay. So, you know, at the moment, it's still very confusing about how it's going to play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, and you talk about this and I, I guess that's kind of the purpose of the test test phase, right? Yes. You know, you know, see if it works, see if people are happy, um, um, you know, in this phase. And, and, you know, is part of is convincing them also kind of part of this phase also? Yes, absolutely. You know, when I wrote the model, of course, we'd only just started on this whole process. So I didn't know how it was going to play out. But actually, you know, I, I was pleased that I put that phase in, you know, the phase of, mm-hmm. as you say, of testing, of modeling and testing, because there are so many unknowables. It's it's impossible to get this right first time. You know, for example, I was with a, 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 a team this morning and they said, you know, Linda, when we rolled this out, we didn't realize that most of our team leaders work in complex matrices that they've got. They've got lots of other people they're working with. So if each team does something different, then they they can't work with each other. So, you know, testing it out, experimenting. So so my advice now to leaders is you need to talk to each other. You know, you need now to talk to each other in in a very uh, thoughtful, open way. And, you know, the questions you need to ask are things like what's working for us? What have we learned? What's not working? You know, what are we agreeing with? So that we are right in the middle right now of that test, experimental learning conversation period. Mm-hmm. And just a quick question on that. So in this testing, are you seeing that uh, in any of the companies you're working with that, you know, employees and then actually the management teams kind of, uh, you, you talked about battles, but really completely see this differently, you know, um, where the employees are saying, we don't want to go in the office at all. We just will also stay home. I, I mean, uh, is it polar opposites or is there somewhere a meeting of the minds on this? You know, the really interesting thing about, you know, what I would call the stakeholders, the leaders, the, the team leaders, 
the employees is there's a lot of there's a lot of disagreement within those groups. So it's mm -hmm. not as if, you know, the battle is leaders versus employers or employers versus team leaders or team leaders versus the human resource function. Because actually, even within those groups, there's disagreement. I mean, I was in a meeting this morning and one of the of team of, of, of senior people and one of them actually just walked out. I mean, mm -hmm. they were that cross with. So, so it's not as if. So, so, you know, each individual has got their own preference and they're different from each other. And that's why it's so important that we just keep on talking about this in a positive way to come to some agreement. And, and it, this is a kind of a question that just popped into my head when you said somebody walked out, okay? Um, are, you, are you seeing a difference, a generational or a cultural difference in these discussions? Well, you I... know that is. Yeah, I just, I have to say <laughs> from the beginning that I, my general... Philosophy is not to see a generational okay. differences. I've written, I've written extensively yeah. about how we stereotype, you know, the old versus the young. So, you know, I think, I think there is a life stage difference. You know, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're somebody who's got a, a young family at home, then, then it's a different your experience of life. Your lived experience, as we psychologists call it, is going mm -hmm. to be different from somebody like me, you know, who's I've got this lovely home in Primrose Hill and it's got no children in it. We, we have children, mm -hmm. but they don't live with us. Um, they're all mm -hmm. old, older. So our experience is different. So, you, you know, I think it's more of a if there were any differences between groups, it's probably going to be more of a life stage difference rather than just simply an age difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. OK, and. And from a cultural aspect, I mean, um, uh, you know, I, because, we, you know, we're working so, you know, so widely with mixed cultures today and, um, you know, uh, working in time zones in between Europe, the U.S., Asia, um, you know, it, I would think that an international company might be more flexible in this, okay? Yeah. I mean, because yeah. they're working. Right? Yeah, in, in general. So I'm, I'm mm -hmm. so sorry. Yeah, in general, that's the case. So I was just so excited yeah. by your question. It's a great question. <laughs> um, jumping in there, interrupting you. I do apologize. The English. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, but yeah, no, I, th I think that's a really good point because, uh, in general, we find I find we find that uh, the more international a company is, the better it is at managing people. Simply because, as you rightly say, if you're managing people across time zones, as most you know global companies do, you have to get better. You have to be good at coordinating. Uh, with people who don't na naturally meet each other and so on. So yeah, I mean there are there are companies who who by nature are going to be are going to find this easier than other companies, and I think there are cultural differences. I was talking to a company recently who have a huge back office in Mumbai, and they said mm -hmm. you know in Mumbai people want to come into the office. They don't want to stay at home. Their apartments are very small. They're very crowded. They actually like the office. You know, it's a place where you can have a decent lunch, where you can meet your friends. It's air conditioned. It's not too hot. Same, by the way, is true in Tokyo, where apartments are very small. So, it you know, the actual, it's not so much the culture, but the context that people live in does really influence and impact on, on how they feel about what they want. 
Mm-hmm. That that's what I would imagine. That's why I asked the question. Yeah. Um, so, Linda, just to to the fourth step. The last step yeah. is you implement it. Okay. Yes. So, is there anybody you know who has done this? Do you have any? You don't have to name the company, but it, are, are, is everybody still kind of in this test retest stage, or has you have you seen any real success stories so well, far? The companies have imp- implemented, and guess what? <laughs> They've yeah. gone back again. So so. <laughs> Almost every case that I've written, one said, oh, no, no, this is it. And I've gone back recently and, said, and, t- and asked them what's happened. And they said, oh, actually, we've changed our mind. We've decided to do a U-turn on this. And they feel embarrassed about that. And I said, no, 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 don't be embarrassed. You're learning. You know, if this, if this is the most difficult thing since the Industrial Revolution in terms of the way it's changed the way we work, and none of us were around in the Industrial Revolution, but if we were, we would have seen the most astonishing change as people moved from the countryside into factories. If that's the mm. case, don't be ashamed of the fact you haven't you haven't got it perfectly right the first time. Nobody did. And everybody is now in an iteration where they're saying, OK, let's learn more. Let's listen more and let's be adaptable about you know, what we're prepared to say. I think what's what's not working is is when uh, the leader just, you know, puts their foot down. I hope you can hear my, them putting their foot down. So, <laughs> yes. You know, this is how it's going to be. That's the place where you're getting mass desertion, really. You know, they're standing mm. there and saying, follow me. And people are saying, no, no, there's lots of other jobs around I can do. I'm, I'm off. So I think that's the least helpful right now. Yeah. And I mean, this is all happening in, in what we're experiencing as the big quit. And um, just, uh, you know, we're almost getting to the end. But question, because the relationship between the big quit and the future of work, I mean, it's quite, is it tied together or is it yes, just two absolutely. different things? No, no, no. The big quit mm-hmm. was completely, and I, it was completely predictable uh, with regard to uh, the pe- people wanting more flexibility. And, but, mm-hmm. but, but before the, before the pandemic, they might've wanted flexibility, but there wasn't any flexibility available to them. Now some companies are saying you can be flexible and they're saying, okay, we're going to join you and we're going to quit the others. So quite a lot of the quitting is because people are trying to find companies that are nearer to their, to, you know, to their aspirations of how they would like to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, Linda, great, great content, fantastic book. Um, we're pretty much getting towards the end of our show. If you had one message, because we, this our audience by Leadership Beyond Borders, we have quite a few managers, executives, company owners, and boards listening to this show. Um, one message to all of us out there who are saying, oh, what do I do with my company? How do we redesign it? If you just, one statement, what would be your advice? Well, you know, the advice would be, don't think that you can get it right now. You know, if you feel, don't feel ashamed or embarrassed that actually it's not working perfectly. I don't know a single company where it's working perfectly. So my piece of advice is carry on talking about it. Think about, think about this as a learning experience. Carry on doing experiments and learn from those experiments. In other words, my one piece of advice is have a learning mindset. Mm-hmm. Excellent piece of advice. So, Linda, great conversation. And for our guests, we've been talking with Linda Gratton, and as Linda with a Y or Ypsilon for whether you're listening from America or Europe. Okay, so it's um, L Y 
NDA, Grattan, and she won as one of the foremost global thought leaders on the future of work. And she was named by Business Thinkers 50 as one of the top 15 business thinkers. And she has 10 books out, including The 100-Year Life. And she's sold over a million copies and they've been translated into 15 languages. And we've been talking today about her latest book. And her latest book was published by MIT Press, and it's called Redesigning Work, How to Transform Your Organization and Make Hybrid Work for Everybody. And Linda is also Professor of Management Practice at London Business School, where she received the Teacher of the Year Award and designs and directs the Future of Work elective. And this is one of the school's most popular elective. And her research was featured on a cover article for Harvard Business Review in May 2021. And she explores issues of work in her MIT Sloan column. She's also a fellow at the World Economic Forum and co-chairs the WEF Council on Work, Wages, and Job Creation. So, Linda, great conversation. If our guests want to reach out to you, they can reach out to you on your website, www.lindagratton.com. She's also on Twitter under at Linda Gratton and on LinkedIn under Linda-Gratton. So, Linda, once again, thank you so much. Really interesting discussion. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, it's been really uh, a great talk today. And for our listeners, don't forget that this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. They hold virtual trainings, conferences, do market research, and legislative white papers focused on digital. They also have a thought leadership Thursdays at 1700 Central Europe time, where they talk to some of the leaders in digital. And they have an e-learning platform. Platform that's very interesting for startups, product managers, and SMBs, and it helps companies succeed. And please don't forget to listen to us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. specific time. And if you miss us, don't worry because we are all over the net. Just look for Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America Internet Radio, and you can find us all over the net on Google, Spotify, every major podcast platform. And with that, thank you for listening today and tune in again next week. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.